foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to Katie Says, the podcast that helps you become aligned and well. Join us for conversations with Katie Bowman, biomechanist, creator, and director of the Restorative Exercise Institute, author, teacher, blogger, mother, and total body nerd. Understand the mechanical causes of modern ailments, learn how to fix them, and restore yourself to a more functional state of natural human movement. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. And now, your host, Danny Hammett. Hey guys, this is Katie, and I am hijacking my own show. Um, just kidding. Danny's going to be here in a few minutes, but I thought that I would start this All About the Feet podcast with a five-minute talk that Danny gave a couple years ago. It was in 2013 in her local Ignite talk series, which is kind of like a, a TED talk. And I was so impressed. This was before I even really knew Danny when she was going through the certification process. And this talk, this talk was one of the reasons that I asked her to be the host of this show because she is not only smart, she's also funny. She's an excellent writer and excellent communicator. And if you don't want to take off your shoes at the end of what she's about to say, then you have strong will. So let's roll it. Adaptation. Are we doing it wrong? We know more than ever about our health. You can't look at your homepage or oh, turn on the TV without a health or fitness tidbit, waving its hand frantically in front of your face like a second grade know-it-all, hoping you'll listen and give credence to what it has to say. But perhaps we're overlooking something because we seem to be in an awful lot of pain and we are deteriorating a little too quickly. 
Over one million Americans a year replace their hips and knee joints with artificial joints. Over 43 million have been told by a doctor that they have arthritis, and another 23 million have undiagnosed chronic joint symptoms. On back and neck pain alone, we spend $83 billion a year. $83 billion. We pop pills, wear back braces, and use medieval torture-type instruments to relieve that pain. Some of us visit chiropractors more times a month than we visit our moms in a year. It's true. Our backs hurt, our necks hurt, our hips hurt, our knees hurt, our shoulders hurt, our wrists, elbows, and hands hurt, our feet hurt. What the hell? We're in pain. And veganism pundits blame our high meat and dairy consumption. The dairy industry tells us we just need to drink more milk. CrossFit assures us that if we could just do more burpees, we'd surely be better off. But some of us are drinking our milk. And some of us are vegan. Forks over knives is like Gideon's Bible in a hotel nightstand. Everybody's glanced at it at least once, and it can change some people's lives, Steve. Um, We cleanse. We are gluten-free. There are 330 paleo cookbooks on Amazon.com. 330. And kombucha is the latest magic elixir sliding down our throats, replacing acai berries, remember those? Goji berries and mangosteen. What happened to those? We're working out. Since the 80s, we've been obsessed with fitness, and now we crave fads that push our limits, P90X and CrossFit. There are enough anecdotal reports to suggest that the high rate of joint injuries suffered by CrossFit followers is not due to the fact that they've slacked off on their calcium consumption. Even more reasonable endeavors, such as yoga and Pilates, can trouble our bodies. Fists for wrists, anybody? Oh, I strained my hamstring. You bad downward dog, bad dog. So let's ask ourselves, are our joints so defective? Is our design so poor that these machines that we've been given are bound to fail before our life force has left them? Well, perhaps we are the dysfunction and not our bodies. Perhaps it is faulty design, not faulty design, but operator error. Perhaps we've strayed too far from natural biological movement, and this is the price. Our daily movements are damaging. We're hunching over smartphones, computer use, texting, sitting 8 to 16 hours a day, driving too much and not walking at all. I know it can overwhelm to think about changing those everyday, all-day-long habits that we have. Our adaptation to modern convenience can limit our biological function in the long term. But there's one thing you can change that would make a tremendous difference in your overall, immediate, and long-term wellness, and it rhymes with booze. Shoes. You could change your shoes. Whether men's or women's, high heels or running shoes, any shoe with a positive heel, even one to two inches, causes your joint alignment to be displaced 20 to 40 degrees. That causes your body to pitch forward, and in order to remain upright with your eyes on the horizon, you have to deform the natural alignment of your ankles, knees, pelvic tilt, and spinal curvature. Now, what other machines that we expect long-term use from could function at a 20-degree displacement off its normal axis? A car? A washing machine? How long would they last? It's too much to expect from a machine, and that's what your body is. It's designed to be used, but not abused. Think about it. You misalign your joints, then you move that way, you run, you walk that way, you lift that way. It's like driving a car on two flat tires. 
things are going to wear down. And that's not rocket science. That's 10th grade geometry. From orthotics to fitness shoes, the solutions are getting sillier. Footwear was conceived pre-penicillin to save us from punctures and infection. But this Pandora's box of our own creation is tearing us apart one joint at a time. If you make this change, please nurture your shortened and weakened muscles and give them time to function properly. We are adapting toward our demise, but you can begin to reverse these troubles, and all you have to do is free your souls. Thank you for your time and attention. Well, thank you. That was nice. I kind of like when you take over the show. I kind of, yeah, taking over seems to be a theme in my life. <laughs> but <laughs> you're but good. I promise. You're good at it. I promise. It. It's all, I, it's, the show is much better with you opening it and running it. Oh, well, gracias. You're probably as excited as I am. Because. I am, but 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 hold on. Before we go into this, I just wanted to say that that talk was amazing. Thank you. And Thank you my favorite part is that you used the word booze in it, like <laughs> because it rhymes with shoes. And your you the you your use of booze was genius. <laughs> it was so it was like the perfect segue. So anyway, I just wanted to well, before we you. go into Katie says, I just want to do a little bow of honor to what Danny says. That's amazing. That means quite a bit to me. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. When this episode comes out, we are right in the middle of Foot Health Awareness Month. It's crazy. It is crazy, but it is so exciting because you have something going on every day this month. This is April when this show is going to come out. So if you're listening currently, we're in April and we're in the middle of Foot Health Awareness Month. So this episode is going to actually be split into two because there's just too much to talk about. Yeah. And we're going to be answering all of the questions that kind of came up on the board after Whole Body Barefoot came out. And so this is kind of like the episode for the people. It is for the people, by the people, for the people. And it's all about the base of your body. The The Mm -hmm. base. So feet are the foundation, and most folks that have found their way to your work found it looking for solutions to foot pain, Um, and others who were looking for restorative exercise to help with other health issues soon learned that they need to start with the feet, too. Yeah. Um, It's all about the base. So you have written two books on foot health, and your latest, which I just, it's awesome, Whole Body Barefoot. It's out in stores and online. And focuses on transitioning to minimal footwear and going barefoot. Yeah. And a lot more. I mean, it's just, ah, just make your feet feel better. So I've already gotten response from the people that I've lent my copy to, and it's good. So this episode of the show, we will be providing solutions and answers to barefoot and transitioning and foot questions that, like you said, came up as soon as the pre-sale copies were released. Yeah. And there was like nine gajillion questions. So we'll have to make this long, like I said. <laughs> That's a lot of questions. <laughs> it is a lot of questions. And, and it took me forever to count. It took me like 10 gajillion minutes to count it. So we'll just have to make it one really long one. We'll split it in, in half. Can right. you can you digit? Again, okay. again. Oh, God. Oh. oh, there's so many. No, there's so many. Oh, there's just a many. lot of foot puns. There's a lot of foot puns. There's all so right. so many. And for all the, just to kind of preempt those of you that have, there's a lot of questions about what footwear for what situation. I will tell you right now, Whole Body Barefoot, the book has an extensive list, not exhaustive, but extensive list of minimal 
footwear recommendations for men, women, and children and, and all seasons. So if you find something after reading that list that that is not there, let us know. And we'll put it in the second printing, right? Is that what your plan is? That's actually going to be a call on the um, the Facebook and Twitter feed is for, um, you know, there is a list of people listening. If you're like, okay, I'm ready for minimal shoes, you can um, go to my blog, katiesays.com and just search shoes, the list. And then there's also shoes, the winter list, and that includes men, women, and children's shoes. That list has been kind of updated and organized a little bit differently. It's in the back of whole body barefoot, but we're also going to be doing a call this month for there's so many new shoe companies coming out all of the time. And so we want to, in our next print, which is going to be soon because we almost sold out of our first two prints Wow, whole body barefoot, we'll be adding an even more updated exhaustive list. Cause I don't, you know, I don't let's, let's answer the questions because right, I right. think that, I think that, um, you know, I don't even have that many shoes left, but everyone's just looking for this perfect for whatever your scenario is. And it's out there. I think you can find the minimal shoe that you're looking for. Once you know how to sort through shoes for which characteristics you might need right now. All right. So let's, let's shoot out of the gate. Nine gajillion. Let's go. Okay. And, and firstly, just so we all start off on the same foot, please briefly define if you wouldn't mind what we're going to consider minimal footwear for reference for this talk. Okay. So minimal footwear um, in the way that I use it means footwear that disrupts your whole body movement as little as possible, that your gait as little as possible. So a big um, point that I went out of my way to make, I think, in whole body barefoot is that flip-flops are often kind of deemed minimal shoes because there's very little mass to the shoe and because you're exposed very much to the air. So that's one way of defining a minimal shoe. You could say that, you know, it's in, you're surrounded by material in a very little manner when you're wearing a flip-flop. But the thing with the flip-flop is because it doesn't attach fully to your foot, you end up having to alter different muscle use and joint actions to keep it on your foot because because it's not attached. You have to do work to keep it on, and that work is not limited to just the toes. It's how you use the um, the shin muscles and how you you know hold the front of the foot very tense and tension that you have to do in your quadriceps and your hips, and so. It will. It changes the entire way that you walk, the rate that you walk, if you shuffle or not, etc. So, it really is a whole body effect. Wearing something that you have to kind of grip your toes to keep on. So that would not be a minimal shoe. So that's just the one example. So we can get into foot to other characteristics, but that's the easy. That's the way that I am defining the term. So a Vibram, on the other hand, fully covers your foot. So it's that's what makes it different from being barefoot. So there is a disruption in loads to skin and nerves. However, like your more biomechanical, your gross biomechanical variances and how you use your toes and your knees and your hips are not as disrupted. So, so that's what I'm talking about today. All right. So we're all clear on that. Off on the same foot. Let's go. So, oh my God, you can't help yourself. I, You know what? <laughs> I've been just dying, dying for today because the puns with feet, huge. Like w- one of the best body parts for I puns. I know, Ugh. I know. I think that we're not, I'm not going to be able to stop and give no. 
a nod of respect to every pun, but maybe you we should have like have a little to. audio ding every time there's a pun, <laughs> <laughs> just in case it's slipped by. Oh, ding, ding. Okay. Ding, ding. All right. A punster gets their wings every time it happens. <laughs> First question, most of us live around concrete. What about walking on concrete with minimal footwear? Are some shoes better than others or what should be taken into consideration? Well, what should be taken into consideration is if you're wearing, if you're going to minimal shoes to use your whole body in a more natural uh, way, terrain is just as important as the shoes. So the the terrain is a, a cast of sorts. So if you're always walking on a hard, flat, and level, then shoes have been providing a particular service. So you have to, one, either include more natural terrain in, in what you're walking on, even if like you're living in Manhattan, you know, if you can find some, you know, not overly dog crap filled small pockets of grass along the, you know, along the um, sidewalk, if you can walk on something a little softer, a little more textured, a little bit more um, body geometry altering, you know, if you will. Um, if you can't do that too much, then then you might want to consider a shoe that gives you a little bit of um, padding, you know, if you will, something to dampen that repetitive high level of force. And so, and also, I'm always just talking about walking. I'm never talking about um, athletic pursuits. I'm talking about just walking around for this discussion, as mentioned in the book as well. So, yeah, you have to consider your terrain just as much as you consider you know, what you put on your feet, what you put your feet on. You have to think about both sides of the discussion. Excellent answer. Good job. This came up a lot for the second question and fat pads. Mm. So would you call me? <laughs> oh, come on now. All right. Don't sound so arch. Um, oh, okay. God. So what could you describe fat pads? And then, well, what are fat pads? Well, I'll get, I mean, the so I'll just, I'll sum up the question because I get the question a lot. So you have fat pads in your feet, in, in different areas of your feet. Um, you have lots of um, different padding mechanisms in your body, things like bursa. And fat pads are one of these tissues that you have that create a particular, help, they help create particular loads to different areas. You're obviously... In, in nature, you'd be on your feet quite a bit. And so you have a structure that helps you deal with that. Um, now, what happens for a lot of people is when they go to walk barefoot um, as they're older, keeping in mind that being older is also synonymous with in this case, or could be said to be the same variable or or is affected by the variable of spending many, many decades in shoes. So it's hard to separate those two, meaning it doesn't necessarily, we're not necessarily talking about an age-related phenomenon as much as a movement history phenomenon, perhaps. Okay. And so you go to take off shoes and then you're walking, you know, on your, around your neighborhood on the cement, and then you'll have metatarsal pain or, you know, some sort of pain in your foot and you go to the doctor and, or you go to someone and they'll say, well, you're, your fat pad is gone. And so you've, you've broken it down. You've worn you and your shoes, you know, your whole entire life have worn through your fat pad. So there are fat pads. There's not very much information out on fat pads as it relates to uh, foot health. There's very little information on foot health 
meaning in their natural, like what is the natural state of a foot? There's little information about that. But the really only piece that I have to talk about fat pads would be that the geometry of a fat pad, the size, like the shape, the thickness, and the location of the fat pad is affected by things like neuropathy and and hammer toes and clawed toes. So in exactly the same way, like we talk about everything else, like you are how you move, the state of your health now is also affecting the health of your fat pad. So you could have a fat pad missing in a particular area, but you also have muscle and bone and nerve health missing in those areas as well. And so the larger message doesn't really change. We want you to change the shape and the location and the health of your fat pad by doing all the same things that we're doing for the health and the shape and the fitness of your other feet parts, your bones and your nerves. That being said, if you are missing a fat pad, if you've displaced it or smushed it down or or whatever through the way that you've moved, you would want to not be exposing your foot to high load repetitious use, especially on something hard. You know, your fat pad, the forces created between your foot and the surface will be greater depending on the stiffness of the surface and also the geometry your foot assumes while walking over. So as you change your geometry and the strength of your foot, you will be changing where you press through your feet when you're walking. Like none of those things are actually fixed. If you don't have a fat pad in the area that you need it right now for comfort, then the shoe is what you're using it for. That's why minimal shoes come in so many different categories. And maybe for you, the variable that you would focus on is eliminating the heel, not necessarily eliminating the cushion. So you could go through some, like for something that has a little bit of squish to it as you are doing all of these other things to strengthen your feet. Because this is not a discussion about, this is not a discussion only about what shoes should I put on in the morning. It's about how well you tend to your feet. The shoe is a small part. Your gait pattern and the strength and the function of your foot is a much larger piece. They're certainly related, but rather than going, oh, Katie says wear minimal shoes and just putting them on, I would rather you walk around in your old shoes while doing your foot exercises. Mm. So so that's all I have to say about fat pads. Love them. Fat pads, love them. It would be cool if there was more information and studies about feet in their natural habitat. Yeah, but where, where are you supposed cool. to go? I know, where, I know. where do you go to find those? I know. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, will you do me a favor before we move on to the next question? No. I yes. need you to. Okay, yes. Would you say fat pads one more time? Fat pads. Thank you. Fat pads. Thank you to our new audio tech, Brock, for that echo. That was just me. Uh, you goofball. Okay. Orthotics. Mm. I have a kind of a specific question because that's like a huge category. Uh, if <laughs> shoot, should, well, I, I'm I'm just going to read this person's question. Is that all right? I won't say their name. Do it. Is it your husband? No. Okay. Okay. Good. No. Oh. Uh, okay. This person. I have really stiff ankles and plantar fasciitis. Bow legged and pronate a lot. So my Cairo 
that's chiropractor, had me order orthotics to correct my pronation. The physical therapist who I'm now seeing suggested I ditch the orthotics because they treat the symptom and fail to correct the problem. That's a pretty advanced PT. That's cool. And he has me doing some exercises instead. I always wondered if orthotics were just a crutch that I would become dependent on. And I think my foot problems have only worsened since wearing them. Can you comment on the role of orthotics, please? That's a real person's question. Not yeah. me. I didn't make it up. <laughs> it's real. That's a good question, too. That's why I it put is. it in there. Because a lot, that person is not alone in their situation. I wanted to read it. Well, I, I mean, I think that, I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. Orthotics, orthotics are... A, they're a solution to a very narrow portion of the problem. And there's a section of orthotics really in, in both books, right? In, in the old foot book, I had like, why does someone wear orthotics and need orthotics? And in the second book, actually, um, our favorite podiatrist commented, she's like, here's what I'm giving orthotics for. I'm giving orthotics to change the load to your ankles and your knees and your hips that without the orthotics will damage your ankle and your knees and your hips. It's to make you more comfortable. However, the reason you need orthotics is because of weakness in your ankles and your knees and your hips. And so I can only do so much. I can give you the exercises. You need to do them. You need to think about all of these other things. So if you're wearing orthotics, orthotics are supporting a portion of the problem, but they're also supporting, as in promoting a portion of the problem, which is the weakness. Like they don't make you stronger. They just kind of shove your bones into a particular place. And so we know enough in physiology to know that passive positioning is not the same thing as active positioning. So if, like I always use the bicep, right? Like if you're holding onto a weight and you do a bicep curl, if you, if you move your arm from drop down by your side and flex it and pull it up, you, you will see the muscle bulge, right? So your bicep is getting shorter, but it's also because it's generating force getting thicker. It's pushing out to the side. So there's there's this motion of the bicep due to its activity. It's, it's muscular force generating activity. Now put that same arm down and now lift the arm up with your opposite hand. The joint action is the same in both cases, but in one case you use muscle and in the other case you didn't use the muscle of that arm. Musculoskeletal rearrangement can be active or passive. Passive musculoskeletal rearrangement does not do a body good in the long term in that it does not bring about strength or, or the situation in the tissues that is brought about by you using the muscles to do it. So that's all we're saying. You can slap on an orthotic and get a particular joint configuration, but that joint configuration is passive and it's still collapsing, although it's collapsing in a new geometry. Or you can get the same effect as you can get with an orthotic from your own muscles, which is which is what you want because then you have the better loading of your ankles, knees, and hips, and you are using your own muscle to do it. So it's it's stable. It comes with all the things that come with more muscle use, you know, better metabolism, better bone density, more stability. And so this is just this is just not looking for like a, a muscle or body enhancement pill. This is you just doing the work that is going to be inevitable because these things 
don't tend to like things like orthotics and supports they don't tend to do their job over a long period of time or they'll kind of push the problem outside of the local area to another area above or below so that's that's you know that's what i have to say about orthotics but also if you are wearing orthotics you clearly need some structural support, which is why it's so important to transition. Do you just take them off? Do you just take the orthotics off and start doing the exercises? Or do you do the exercises over time until the orthotic becomes noticeable and slightly uncomfortable because now it's interfering with your muscles doing the work? So it's all about this gradual transition. So final answer. Well, that's. I hope that person is listening. It's a great answer. Next question. Good old plantar fasciitis. Good old plantar fasciitis. <laughs> Good old PF. And and that's, by the way, how I first fell in love with your work is I suffered from plantar fasciitis for two years, two years. And after three weeks of starting a foot program with you, gone. So a lot of people have it. And it's kind of a lot of people don't talk about it either. It's just one of those weird things. Really? Because I hear people talk about it all the time. Yeah, but you wake up, like people come into my class for something else and then they'll tell me, you know, oh yeah, I get this sharp pain in my heel when I get out of bed in the morning and it stays there for a few hours. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's not something you want to live with. That's, yeah, it's not like a wrinkle. Okay. What differences are there when one is transitioning to minimal footwear if they have plantar fasciitis? Well, I don't know if I understand questions like that. The whole, I, like everything, every. <laughs> or is there? I mean, if I have plantar fasciitis and I get whole body barefoot, I, I start doing the foot program and I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready. I, I mean, is there, I, I guess I'd like to know, is there anything, it wasn't my question actually, but is there anything that I would need to be more careful with? If I have plantar fasciitis or is that okay, a better so, question? No, I, it's not really. It's the same question. Just say fat pads again. <laughs> fat, fat pads. pads, 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 pads. <laughs> it's, it's, this is why I wrote that section in the beginning of Whole Body Barefoot about water. Do you remember that section about water? Yes. Okay. So I'll just explain it. So you guys don't even have to buy the book. You just listen to this podcast. I'm just going to read the book. How about I just, just do the, the book and we'll call this podcast an audio version of Whole Body Barefoot. When the analogy that I'm using is writing a book on water, like, so I just write this book on water and say, everyone needs, you know, eight glasses of water a day, or it would be better to say, we need this much water per this mass of your body so that everyone can adjust the quantity just so to their particular body. Because if you don't get all your water, here's a list of 87 ailments that are, you know, correlated to a lack of water. And then so you read this whole book and you get this understanding, then you're like, but I didn't see my issue X or my issue Y or my issue Z. It's like, well, the way that I'm writing, the argument that I'm presenting is this is the this is the requirement to figure out what you need exactly. Just subtract how much water you're actually drinking from the baseline of water that a human needs. So you have to do a little bit of legwork uh, to figure mm -hmm. out. Thank you. Um, you have to do a little bit of your own legwork to figure out what it is that you need specifically, how you need to modify. I mean, the exercises are all 
the exercises are all there. These are all motion. These are all movements to restore the strength. If you have plantar fasciitis, what you have is a situation of inflammation due to using one structure too much in your body and not using other structures. So I assume that everyone who's starting to transition has a problem with their foot. I assume that because why else would you? Because that's usually most people's motivation is discomfort somewhere. So Mm -hmm. I assume an injured population for what I'm writing, which is why I go through so many pains to explain the need to transition slowly. So if someone has plantar fasciitis and said, I tried to wear Vibrams and it hurts, or I have orthotics and I tried to wear, you know, a flat shoe, but that hurts my Achilles tendon. It's like, yes, I know all of those things, which is why I do not recommend that you start your transition to minimal shoes by actually wearing them. That the transition to minimal shoes is changing your whole body alignment and the corrective exercises and how much you sit and whatnot, because the shoes themselves, the ones that you're used to wearing right now, while, while, while they have created the issues or the ailments or the symptoms of wearing them, they also support that level of, of symptoms and ailments. So like that's, you've adapted your ailment, your plantar fasciitis is the result of using your body in a particular way. But you have to like slowly retreat out of that way rather than jump away from the way that you've used them. So I don't think that having plantar fasciitis, what tends to happen is like people, they don't understand stepwise very well. They'll hear me say it. They're like, yeah, I know I took baby steps, but they didn't really take baby steps. They, you know, they put in a new shoe and then they went and hiked for four miles in that new shoe without, without, because they don't think about loads all the time. It's like you're, if you are like, say you do five miles a day in your old hiking boots, what would be an appropriate step to start transitioning to minimal footwear? Well, it would not be wearing minimal shoes for one mile of that five mile hike. Or if you wanted to do it that way, after wearing minimal shoes for that one mile hike and experiencing the pain, that was a signal that 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 was too large of a leap. And maybe it would have been better to just start with some corrective exercises and then go on to your old five mile hike in your old shoes. And then maybe it's go on your five mile hike in your old shoes, but think about your alignment while you're walking, meaning are you always, you know, toes and knees and chest and body forward where the pressure on the forefoot or the front of the foot is so high that you've walked five miles on the front of your foot? How about you just practice wearing your old shoes and walking five miles where you're stacked more of the back of the foot and giving the tissues in the front of the foot a break? So I think that you have all the information in the books to be able to break down your progression into small enough steps for you and whatever ailment you are experiencing right now. If that does that make sense at all? It does. It does. You did a terrific job of explaining it. Oh, it was great. Terrific. Nailed it. Um that was good. In fact, we just you just got rid of the follow-up. You just you got rid of the follow-up question. You answered it. You're ahead of me. That was really good. I just clipped it. We just clipped it. We just trimmed it off. Trimmed it off. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Katie Bowman's edutaining blog, katiesays.com. For books, online classes, downloads, and continuing educational courses with Katie, visit the Restorative Exercise Institute at restorativeexercise.com. You can learn more about Danny Hemmett at moveyourbodybetter.com.